Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Again, we're looking at the book of Proverbs in our series and continuing again in the new year. We're looking particularly in chapter 3 at the third speech in the sermon series in Proverbs. The two speeches that we've already addressed in chapters 1 and 2 were addressed by a father or mother to their son or daughter. Now, this third speech continues suit with this familial instruction. And the theme of the book, as is mentioned some 18 times, is the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. It's the source. It's the first thing. It's the principal thing. It's the chief thing. It's the starting point of all true wisdom to fear the Lord. You may recall in the first speeches that it dealt with warnings and commands and directions to deal with those threats that come from without, the wicked men or the forbidden adulteress, the corrupting friends. But today in chapter 3, we turn to the most difficult and challenging of threats, and that's the struggle that's within, the enemy that is within, the temptations of our own hearts. And so you'll notice as we work through this section that there is a literary pattern. It's a pattern of admonitions and conditions on the one hand in the odd verses, and then in the even verses you hear arguments or reasons. And it alternates back and forth, and it really provides a powerful pattern to drive home the necessity and the practical significance of this speech. So follow along as I read Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would give us insight and clarity, that your Holy Spirit would minister to us as we seek to glean from your word the truth. And Lord, as we go from this time forward, Lord, that you would also give us your spirit to empower us and enable us to follow your commands, to live for you. We ask that you would do this in all of our lives for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. God is at work in the world today, and if you don't see that right now, you just actually have to open your eyes I wish I could go into story after story of of family and of friends who are sharing unbelievable stories of God doing things that are truly above anything we could ask or imagine. It seems every day, multiple times a day, I'm being blessed with different stories, some of them multiple times before I 
as we people are forced to grow in their trust of the Lord. Can I tell you, this week I spent three days checking out ten different stores on the hunt for toilet paper. Now, that will grow your trust in God and it will free you from taking anything for granted that God gives. This week I've seen people sharing uh, stories of God's faithfulness to them over Facebook, over FaceTime, over Messenger, over all sorts of platforms in which people are connecting and relating the stories of God's faithfulness. So God is at work today in His people. He's speaking through His Word in timely ways. He's speaking these relevant truths for us today. You know, this passage, Proverbs 3, that's before us today, this was planned back in December. Uh, This was put on my calendar to be opening up Proverbs 3 to you today. And what a wonderful thing. That's God's timing, not my timing. Would you tune your ears and your hearts carefully to the Word of God as you hear it this morning? Uh, God's Word to you this morning is powerful. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And my prayer is that as you hear the Word of God, that you, I would be able to say what Paul said of the Thessalonian believers, that I thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but as it is, really, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. That Word is at work today. And in Proverbs 3, we see this third speech given by the author of Proverbs, starting with a foundation, a grounding in God's revelation to us. As we see in verse 1, that the teaching and the commandments are what we are to keep and to hold. As a mother and a father, surely rooted in those statutes, in the rules that God had given parents to teach their children from generation to generation. These words hearken us back to the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, where Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here in verse 1, we see, don't forget, my son, the teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. And then in verse 3, that this steadfast love and faithfulness should not forsake you. In fact, it should be tied as closely to you, around your neck and close to your heart, on the tablet of your heart. This is synonymous to God's revelation to us, His commandments, His teaching, His steadfast love and faithfulness shouldn't be just what we give lip service to or an outward show to, but it has to be intimately and intrinsically connected and bound to us, like bound to our neck or written on the tablets of our hearts as we see the multitude of blessings that come with obeying the Word of God. When we do, in verse 2 and in verse 4, those even verses again, we see for length of days and of years of life and peace they will add to you. A long life, a peaceful life, 
And then in verse, six, uh, verse 4, you'll find favor. You'll find good success in the sight of God and man. These are the blessings as part of the introduction that the author of Proverbs gives for us to understand really the meat of his message, the, the main body of his speech, which is found in verses 5 through 10. We're going to look at that next before we conclude as he does with verses 11 and 12. In verses 5 to 10, we see that we're to trust in the Lord wholeheartedly, that we are to fear the Lord in humility, and that we are to honor the Lord faithfully. Familiar verses, aren't they? We've heard them time and time again. We've recited them to ourselves. I can't remember how many times this week I've just been going over these verses in my head. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths essential, foundational truths that we need to hold to. Bruce Waltke says, our trust in the Lord must be entire, exclusive, and exhaustive. I like those three E's. I almost used those as the outline for the entire sermon. But I think that's the focus and the thrust of what it means to trust in the Lord wholeheartedly. Your whole heart, with all your heart, that's entire trust. All of your heart is relying on trusting in the Lord. And the Hebrew mindset for what the heart is, it doesn't just represent our emotions. It represents our intellect, our emotions, and our will. Everything you have. Entire trust in the Lord. It involves an exclusive trust. This phrase, do not lean on your own understanding. No, it's on the Lord you place your trust, not on your own understanding. This leaning is as if you were to lean on a broken crutch and put your weight on it, what would happen? You would stumble and fall. So if you compare your own understanding with God's understanding, whose understanding are you really going to trust? The thimble full of our own human earthly understanding or the vast ocean of God's understanding. That's who we're called to trust. Why would we trust ourselves? But it's so easy. It's so natural for us to trust in ourselves, to trust in our resources, to trust in our finances, to trust in the stock market, to trust in your investments, to trust that you'll have a job, that you'll have good health. All these trusts and leaning on our own understanding just won't bear the weight of some of the anxieties that are filling our hearts even today. We need exclusive trust in the Lord. We need exhaustive trust. Not exhausting, but exhaustive. Verse 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. We tend to put our trust kind of in siloed little sections of our lives. I can trust God with this part of my life, but this part, I'm not sure. I can trust Him with this, but I'm not sure about that. Are you trusting Him exhaustively? In this, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. That's not just saying, oh God, I guess you're here. I, I, I'll give you credit for being present and check you as God is present. No, it's acknowledging His presence in a personal and in a deep way. Not just in a casual way. That word to know Him or to acknowledge Him is a personal, intimate knowledge 
and in every area of our lives, no matter what, without exception. Don't silo him off into only your church life or in your spiritual life. No, he is to be exhaustively trusted in your work, in your family, in your friendships, with your worship, in your education, in your recreation, meditation, in your health, in your wealth. There's no area where you can't trust God on. With this kind of trust, we receive another promise then that he will make straight your paths. Waltke goes on to say in his commentary, one has to view the course of one's life from the, the bird's eye view, not from the worm's eye view. To, th- to see this truth, he says, a Portuguese proverb says that God writes straight with a crooked line. Things seem pretty crooked today. Seems, seems, things seem out of whack. They don't seem very straight in our paths. But that's how the Lord works. His path and his ways are not our ways. And if we're going to judge the straightness of the path by our ease, our comfort, then we're using the wrong measurements. God is going to make straight our paths as we are called to give glory to him. So, by way of application, your trust. Your trust is not in an idea or a concept but your trust is in a person. Your trust is in the Lord, Jehovah, the Lord Jesus. When you're facing a changing world and a changing routine, you can trust the one God who never changes. As a demonstration of your trust in Him, renounce your self-sufficiency. Renounce your dependence on those things that you thought were your understanding and don't lean on them any longer. We have that tendency to put the weight on those things like our intellect, our street smarts, or whatever else we have. Instead, shift your weight and your dependence and trust onto the Lord. As you trust in the Lord, pray out loud to Him. Tell Him of those things that are uncertain, that concern you. But you speak to the God who is sovereign, powerful, and is full of wisdom and love. Not only are we to trust in the Lord wholeheartedly, but we're to fear the Lord with humility. Look at verse 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You see the first phrase in verse 7. Humility has to be prerequisite here. Be not wise in your own eyes. Proverbs 26.12 says that, do you see a man that's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So the fool is a big problem in the book of Proverbs, right? But even the fool is better off than the person who's wise in their own eyes. With that pride and lack of humility, we cannot come before the Lord the way we ought to. We ought to come with fear. A turning from evil, then, is the next phrase. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It's almost the other side of the same coin. If you fear the Lord, or when you fear the Lord, you're going to run from evil. Because you know what the Lord says about that evil. He hates it, and He judges it. So, run from it. Turn away from it. Don't embrace it. Richard Sibbs, a Puritan, said, Whatsoever 
we love most, whatsoever we trust most, whatsoever we fear most and obey most, that is our God. Wow, that's a scary concept. To think of anything that we fear more than God has become God to us. Look at verse 8, the Again, the benefits or the rationale here, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. When you fear the Lord, you can expect healing of your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This isn't, as Walkie said, simply the resulting in physical and mental well-being, but it's also a fullness of health and wealth and wisdom. The wealth comes as we honor the Lord with our wealth. But let me ask you, have you been growing in your fear of the Lord? This past couple of weeks, has, have you been growing in a fear of sickness and in death? Where is your fear right now? Is God bigger than COVID-19? Bigger than a stock market tumble? Losing your job or anything that can happen in your life? If He honestly is not bigger then humble yourself and see the Lord as He truly is. He's the God of all wisdom. He's the God of all power and love. Fear Him most and you will fear nothing else. Now let me just say, this is not a light switch that you flip, that all of a sudden you stop fearing anything and you completely fear the Lord. It's more of a place where we are searching to be, a destination we're trying to arrive at, but it takes time. It's a constant, never-ending pursuit that we would grow in our fear of the Lord because He is our glorious God and awesome God. Keep growing. Don't stop. Keep coming back to Him when you fear anything else but Him, but fear the Lord in humility. Next, we see in verses 9 and 10 that we ought to honor the Lord faithfully. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. What does it mean to honor the Lord with your wealth? It means to give to Him the first and the best of what you have. The first fruits of the produce were the sweetest and the best. You couldn't count on that there would be more and more of your crops that would ripen. So when you gave the first ones, you were really giving everything that you had. And so as we give God the first, we give God the best. We give Him what we have. Now, you don't have produce in the same way that an agricultural community would understand, most of you, what are we giving to the Lord? We're giving to Him our time. We're giving to Him our talents. We're giving to Him our treasures. Worked in here as well is why we do it. Again, verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Well, before we get to the, re- the reasoning that He gives us anything, look at verse 9 again. To honor the Lord, that word honor comes from the Hebrew word to be heavy or weighty, to be weighty, to have value or prominence. 
So because of his unsurpassed greatness and glory, he deserves whatever we have. He deserves honor. And we honor him with our sacrificial giving, giving of our wealth. Why else? Well, he does give us blessing, plenty and abundance. We don't give to get back from God, but you really can't outgive God. He returns to us plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. We got our taxes done as a family, and since we're going to be losing one of our college students off of our taxes, and we lose their tuition deductions as well, and some other changes that were happening in our family finances, as I figured it out, we're going to be owing more than I was planning for. So when I shared that news with Janie, she was kind of wide-eyed at the number that I gave her. But literally, we said to each other, here's an opportunity for us to see how God's going to provide. Jehovah Jireh, he will provide for our needs. So in the meantime, when my paycheck came and I go online and I do the, the tithe, I thought it's going to be tight this month, but God's going to provide. And then as the news story hit my feed and hit Janie's feed, that the filing for our taxes is going to be pushed back to July, we looked at each other and smiled, yet God does provide. He takes care of us. And he'll put together a way for us to take uh, take care of taxes in July. We can honor him with our wealth. But you know, I want us to think, consider, consider also that he not only blesses us materially, but he blesses us spiritually in such a profound way. I love in Ephesians 1 how Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He predestined us for adoption to himself through, as sons through Jesus Christ to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The spiritual blessing that the Lord pours out on us, that he lavishes on us, is a blessing. We can honor the Lord faithfully with all that we have. Now, the writer of Proverbs here, finishing up his speech, gave an introduction, a body, and now in verses 11 and 12, we have the conclusion. It's an interesting take on the, what he has just said. Verse 11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. If you fail to trust, if you fail fail to fear, if you fail to the honor of the Lord, you can expect that your loving father's discipline and correction will come. Now, as one author said it, that discipline is a severe mercy. The Lord demonstrates his committed love through his discipline. Now, no discipline seems pleasant in the moment, but we know that it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It's hard to take, but consider who's giving this discipline. It's your Father. It's your Heavenly Father who loves you, 
Don't despise it. Don't grow weary with it, we're told. Why? Because it's a sure sign that your heavenly Father cares for you, that He loves you. And in fact, He takes it a a step further in verse 12, that He delights in us. Doesn't that blow you away? That it's out of His love, it's out of His delight for us, that He disciplines us and corrects us. C.S. Lewis in his work, The Problem of Pain, says exactly what we've experienced in our lives, but we still need these constant reminders. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It's the pain of discipline that gets our attention, that calls us back to the Father in heaven who loves us, the one who delights in us. Lewis also described God as the, as the master artist. And we, his children, are his magnum opus. Because he wants to make us the best that we can be, the artist rubbed and scraped off, he recommenced for the tenth time, the artist who longs to show his mastery and his glory will chip away at the rough edges of our lives to produce his greatest work. He loves his children. He loves you so much that he will work us over again and again and again and discipline us until he produces sons and daughters who trust him wholeheartedly, who fear him in humility, and who honor him faithfully. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, We thank you for the great love that you have loved us, the love that compelled you to send your son Jesus to be our Savior, to go to the the cross, to redeem us from our sins, and to make us your own children. Lord, I pray that you would so move in us to trust you, to fear you, to honor you, Lord, in all that we do and say. Help us this week as we face concerns, and challenges, and difficulties. Lord, help us to see you, to trust you with all of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.